0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 114 of the All Dolphins Podcast. You will notice Omar and I are not alone again. It's not behind enemy lines. It's something actually even cooler. But we'll get to that in a second. First, as always, our tribute to the player with the jersey number corresponding to the episode number. Today is 14. Marlon Moore. Who? Marlon Moore. Good one. No, but that's I like that. That's a very interesting one. For number 14, it's got to be one of two. A fan favorite, actually two fan favorites, Jarvis Landry or Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, and I think I'm inclined to think that for reasons that may be obvious or not so obvious, there's a certain segment of Dolphin fans who may not be totally crazy about Ryan Fitzpatrick, even that though is- he could not have been cooler. So yes. I will give the nod to Jarvis Landry, who was an absolute baller uh, in terms of heart. I don't know that there were a ton of guys who have passed through the doors of the Dolphin facility who topped him in that category.
1: I, I will share a very interesting story about Jarvis Landry. Um, do you know all these fans out there crying that Christian Wilkins deserves a new contract extension? Cause he's only making $10.7 million um, and, and he isn't even a pro bowl player. Remember Jarvis Landry in his final seasons with the dolphins, who was a pro bowl, one of the top slot receivers in the NFL. Um, he was making one point, one seven million dollars he was the I believe the 98th highest paid wide receiver in the NFL and was literally begging the Dolphins to make him an offer give him an extension went up to Mike Tannenbaum in the month of December while he was playing with a broken back begging Mike Tannenbaum to make him an offer let's get a deal done and then when the Dolphins refused as an organization, even though Adam Gay said, hey, I, we're not trading Jarvis Landry. You remember those conversations? <laughs> we're Under no circumstance are we trading Jarvis Landry. And then ultimately. They traded Jarvis Landry. They traded Jarvis Landry and then tried to paint him as the bad guy in that situation. And that's why I always tell fans like and players, one, this is a business. It's not about team. It's not about friendships. Uh, it's not about loyalty to your city. This is a business, and as a business, these teams are ruthless, and they conduct themselves in ruthless ways.
0: Okay, here's one di- difference, though, because you, you're the one who brought up Christian Wilkins. There was a big difference. Christian Wilkins getting $10.7 which Jarvis Landry never got because he was a first-round pick, and he's playing on the fifth-year option, which did not apply for Jarvis Landry because he was a second-round pick. So. We need to be fair about this, but your, your uh, point is well taken. And and the other issue was, I don't know exactly how much Jarvis wanted, uh, but he wound up getting a really pretty pretty ridiculous contract from the Browns for for a possession receiver.
1: I believe it was fourteen million dollars a year, and That's and, a and for possession receiver. Yeah, possession receiver, slot receiver, okay. I mean, but he did go on to be a pro bowl receiver a couple years after that. Right. Now, obviously his career, he's not in the league right now. Um, but I think that that has more to do with the fact that he probably doesn't view himself as a minimum salary player. And sometimes guys let their pride get in the way. And, hey, maybe he just doesn't want to play or, or maybe he was mm-hmm. battling back from an injury. We all know Jarvis wasn't the fastest guy in the world and, and, and injuries slow down these receivers. So, but. If you ask me if Jarvis Landry can still help an NFL team right now, I would—if he's in good shape—I would argue to you to death that he could.
0: Maybe uh, one last thing on that before we we introduce our guest slash partner, uh, Jarvis Landry really? had a butt ugly forty yard dash time at the combine, which may have been the reason he slid. I mean, butt ugly. I, mean, I think it was like four or eight or something.
1: Four I believe. Oh, okay. but... well, much better. It was,
0: it was bad. Omar, take it away.
1: Well, we we've been talking about um, the audio deals and, and figuring out what we were going to do after we forced our way out of the situation, held vanilla ice over the balcony. Um, And and so we got out of our audio deal and we were shopping around. And while we talked to a number of people, um, one deal just made sense to us and primarily um, it made sense to us because as everybody knows who follows me, they know I got trust issues uh, and those <laughs> just a little bit. And, and and that led me to have some conversations with my guy, Ethan Skolnick, who you see at the bottom of the screen with Five Reasons Sports. Um, Ethan and I were colleagues for many, many years when I was my got my first job as a uh, intern reporter, sports reporter with the Palm Beach Post. Ethan was there. He was a guy that I looked up to, one of the guys that I absolutely loved and adored his writing style. And he has branched off and decided to leave the writing and newspaper business behind. You're still writing, right, Ethan? Yeah, you are still writing.
2: Occasionally. Um, it's the least profitable thing to do in this business, and now I care about that. So when <laughs> I get two free hours, yes. Yes, um, that's what I should be doing. It's the only thing I was trained to do, frankly, but um, I end up doing all the other stuff now.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, you were one of the individuals who learned different aspects of the business and learned radio and then took on podcasting, built your own channel. Um, and and just as somebody who is now in that space, I know how difficult all of that is. And that's why I have a great deal of admiration for what you've built with Five Reasons Sports and that's why we're announcing that all dolphins podcast is now officially joining five Reasons sports uh, in a partnership we will do some collaborations we don't exactly know and haven't worked out all the details but we worry about that down the line um so right now Ethan is our didi and and we are our, we are we, Ethan is our puffy and we are we are the I would main I not agree st- to that <laughs> Gosh, Omar, He's gonna Omar. say, "Take that, take that, take that!" All over our podcast,
0: Omar. No, no, you yeah. got to leave room for the uh, for the applause and and, and the cheers. Yeah, no, yeah, thanks.
2: That's exactly right. Before I'm hooked off the stage. No, Omar, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. You said, as you said, we haven't worked out all the details, but you guys are going to be joining our podcast division. Uh, we are really excited about that. Um, we do have one dolphins podcast already, and we think that both can coexist and actually help each other grow. That's three yards per carry, which has been under our umbrella now for, I guess almost four years. Actually, that was the first podcast I added to the network after mine. So, uh, we think you guys bring a different perspective. You're there at camp every day. Uh, which we appreciate. Um, so, you know, we kind of have that reporter focus and then also a fan focus. And look, I, I'm an admirer of both of you guys' work. You guys know that. Um, and we've worked along these, each other for a long time. You know, what we're basically just trying to do is, is you know, we think that for independent content creators, um, it's opening up in a big way right now where you don't necessarily need the corporate overlord to be able to create content and people don't need that to be able to find it. Um, and so basically what we try to do with five reasons is we collaborate, um, we have a set of podcast division. We have a YouTube division, a playback division. We have a website. Occasionally I write for it. Uh, and and so all of these things are, you know, kind of put together. But it's, you know, we have almost uh, – we have more actually than 50 content creators right now. And, you know, we all kind of do our own things. I host the Five on the Floor, you know, Heat NBA podcast. That's my primary content contribution these days. Uh, but, you know, we, we'll do a lot of stuff together. And then obviously, like social media is, is an easy way – uh, to find content these days. And I think we can collaborate there, you know, also, and, and look, the time is right. Um, we wanted to add to our dolphins portfolio. We've kind of been a little bit more heat centric than dolphin centric overall in the network. And let's be honest, after about 25 years, the dolphins have kind of turned into the heat. They're the team that's going out and getting the Jalen Ramseys and the Tyreek Hills and the heater, you not getting the Dame Lillards and the Bradley Beals, and so uh, I'm not saying that it's totally shifted at this point. The Dolphins actually have to win their first playoff game since December 30th, 2000, and that's with Lamar small. Smith running went, for 209, we went, went there. But,
1: but that's just a, that's but,
2: a but, but Just just get one, but you know, I'm, the other team is you know bid to what is it, you know, six finals and won three championship since. But I, but I do think that there is, there is a shift here, so I, we want to capitalize on it.
0: But as a he never had a perfect season, so there.
2: Uh that would be a challenge, actually. Um, they have not had a perfect postseason, though. Although, you know, you can say Ray Allen making the shot made up for that. But uh they, they have not. But look, we know that it, at its heart, this is a football town, it's just that the basketball team has been more interesting for the last quarter century. Mm-hmm. And what this team is actually got all
1: kinds of drama over here. Did you have a bully gate? Cause we had a bully. Uh, game. No, uh, that, that that's true. And I was there for a whole bunch of other things there. at, at hey, dolphins got camp. Brian I was there. trying to take down the entire NFL. What are you talking about? I think successful that, might that, be a better word than interesting. Actually.
2: Well, when you, when you mentioned Fitzpatrick, I was thinking, well, Flores thinks he's still the quarterback, but I, I you know, when I look at my time covering the dolphins, I, I covered the wants that years. That's how old I am. Omar knows that. Um, actually my first year covering, I was the backup covering on, well, Actually, I was for the Palm Beach Post in 1997 for Jimmy Johnson, so I was there for the year. Jason Taylor got drafted; I was at that draft. So I, you know, I've covered that team the whole way. But when LeBron came in 2010, I was like, okay, I can cover that, or I can cover this, and I went that direction. One bit of information, Omar did not give you. Not only did we work together, but the formation of his Twitter account was actually done right in front of me. We we had our yeah. 2009. We were trained on Twitter together.
1: We were forced to start on Twitter together.
2: Forced, and I think we both were like, "What the hell is this? Why are we doing this thing?" Uh, and since you passed me in followers, so it's it, you know, shit happens. But I have two accounts. If you combine them, I have more. But it, it that's that I, I, I'm not, not like I'm keeping track or anything. Anyway, no,
0: oh, did not sound like it.
2: No, I, no and by the way,
0: that. Ethan, I'm a little hurt that you didn't mention that you also. I think when you were with the Palm beach post, you did something. I sports. did. I How know what you're going to say.
2: Dolphin dolphins digest. Digest. I, I did. I turned in my weekly reports to dolphins digest. I also did the pro sports exchange thing. I did any, anything I could do to make an extra 30 bucks. Um, but yes, I, and, and I will say Andy Cohen did pay on time. Uh, and so I always appreciated that. That that's Cause in this business, as you guys know, that does not always happen. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. We're gonna have some fun with it, and and like I said, there's a there's a big runway here uh, to be able to find content, and we're hoping at five reasons that honestly uh, a lot more content comes under our, our umbrella as you know the traditional outlets shrink their resources, which is something that's been going on over the past decade.
0: Omar, don't you don't you think that? Chris, who does good work, needs to change though the, the name of his podcast because it's not three yards per carry anymore. Dolphins right now, it's five yards per carry at least.
2: All right. Bro,
0: that, was, that was that was in
2: tribute to Daniel Thomas, I believe. Oh, actually, uh, I, okay. I, I think, and then and then because I always give Alfredo a hard time about that. One of the hosts, the only one who lives here, uh, he loved Kalen Balaj in the draft. Oh, I mean, I, we all have our yeah, guy, right? And, and I don't think if you doubled Caleb Balaj's yards per carry, you would get to three, actually, during his time with the Dolphins. But you're right. Three yards per carry does not fit anymore. Now, again, when the rookie's playing, it's 12 yards per carry. So uh, I'll, I'll suggest it to Chris and CK and Simon. Uh, those are the hosts of three yards. And Simon uh, typically is overseas. He's actually in America right now, which they should have thrown him a parade. And he'll be back in Germany covering for us on Sunday.
1: So So he's 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 done that now and headed back to Germany. Headed back to Europe.
2: He's tight with Aaron Rodgers. So I think he planned this trip a long time ago uh to go cover that jet game. I don't ask how he's tight. He's tight with Aaron Rodgers and Nick Saban. I don't I don't understand it, but that's an interesting example. Well, and he says bullocks a lot and things like that. Various British words I don't understand. But um yeah, he's, he came to that game, and so he had to sit through that Giants-Jets <laughs> game, uh, in which Aaron Rodgers did not play,
1: as we know. So, mm-hmm. so let's let's get into this team, um, this year's mm-hmm. team. Uh, me and Alan, we both talked about it. We've covered a lot of clunkers, a lot of bad, bad Dolphins teams, a lot of dysfunction. Why? Give me one reason, from your standpoint, why this is different.
2: Coach? Um I I just think that they have not had someone with conviction about what he's trying to do who could then express it to the players in a way that this guy can. And I think when you go all the way back, like I give Chris Greer credit for going out Fortifying the roster in certain areas. There are certain areas. I think that still need to be upgraded. I had them at 11 and six before the season. So I thought they were going to be good. Um, I did not expect that of their top 10 most important players that five or six of them would be in and out of the lineup to start the year. When you talk about Armstead and Ramsey and Connor Williams and and going down, then, you know, you know HN gets off to the start. He does. And then that happens. Um, but I thought if Tua could stay healthy, that was the key, and they could win eleven. Because I don't trust the Mike White backup quarterback situation. So, you know, essentially, to me though, it comes down to it comes down to the coach. He he communicates in a different way, and what's refreshing for me, because as you guys know, I'm not around there much. I come maybe once a week, and then I go to the home games. But it is that this organization was so scared for twenty five years? To say anything about anything, okay? it was the most I mean, every coach they had from it sort of started with Saban and then it got sort of worse and worse and just paranoid coaches. Joe Philbin picking up trash. Adam Gase became paranoid, was blaming everybody else but himself by the end of it. Flores, paranoid to the hilt. Um, Just just this. This guy's not like he's just is who he is. And I think that there's a relatability there. And I've, you know, I've made the comparison. He's different in personality because he's a lot more fun, but the friendship with him and Eric Spolster does not surprise me. I've covered Eric since he was in the video room uh, when I was 23 and he was 26. I've known Eric a long time and I've seen him grow into this role. And kind of at first, it always seemed like Eric was kind of trying to wear Pat Riley's suit. And then he became his own man under Pat, but there there's, an ability to make fun of themselves, okay. uh, to be self-deprecating. McDaniel's funnier about it, but Spoh never blames individuals publicly. He will talk about the collective negatively, but he will talk about people personally praise. There's certain relatable things there that I think he and McDaniel share. But then beyond that, and this is why when I when I asked Spoh about McDaniel, I was in the first time was in the Bahamas last year for heat training camp. And Spo's eyes lit up. Like he he wanted to talk about him forever. He's like, man, I, that guy is brilliant. He's like, he's he's like, that was the best day. We brought our staff. We sat there for two hours. He says they kept asking us how we do things with it. I didn't care about how we do things. We were like, how do you do this? And just I, I just think that connection, uh, you know, is because there is there's an innovation there um with both of them. They look at the game differently. Like Spo, okay. You know, pace and space and all those kind of things that he introduced, and we're gonna play positionless and all that. That was crazy shit at the time, frankly. Like that, you know. I mean, Don Nelson had done some of that. And there was a, but really, a lot of the stuff that Spo did, the way he utilized LeBron as a four, other things like that, totally out of the box. And that's McDaniel. Like I, I Spo's gone to two games and he told me he sat there just watching the motion, the pre-snap motion. Like, what yeah. the hell is it? Because as Mike said, when I asked him the question. He's like when he went to the Heat games, he was, you know, he's he's watching the ball, right? Which is not what he does when he's coaching football, but he watches the ball in basketball. And Spo said he was doing the same thing when he was watching. But still, he's just like then he's also watching Tyreek's running this way and Raheem's running this way, and and so I I think that there's uh, in, a willingness to innovate, to not be scared, not be scared of what you say, not be scared of what you do. Uh, And I think that's made a huge difference. And obviously the biggest difference is just the connection he's made with the quarterback, which if that didn't happen to his career, probably is over in four years. I I think if McDaniel doesn't come with the way that that was trending, I, I, you know, sometimes quarterbacks, they, they get one shot, right. And then they get a shot as a backup somewhere else. And then that's it. Uh, I think that's probably where that would have headed if this guy didn't come in. So talent matters, no question about it. But I, I do think in this case, the coach has been transformative. And I think it's going to change the hires around the league. I don't know if the hard ass coach is going to be in favor as much anymore. I think it's going to be a guy who kind of understands the analytics, the angles, the advantages, and how to relate to his players. And McDaniel is a master at all that, and I think he's a
1: top five coach in the NFL already. But you, you mentioned something that I thought was very interesting um, about innovation, and, and that's the one thing that I do take a lot of see, see in a Mike McDaniel and really respect. There's innovations, there's new ideas. there's there's concepts that you're seeing just branch off and sprout out into the league um, like their cheat motions. you know, what do you think it it takes for a coach? because everybody always says, I want to be an innovator, right? everybody wants to create the wildcat. What do you think it takes for a coach to just continue to push the envelope?
2: I mean, I think it's kind of an I don't give a bleep mentality. And I think some of that with him – at first, you need extreme intelligence, which obviously he has. But I, I think it's – when you come from that background, you're not really supposed to be here. Uh, and I think that's something else he has in common with Spolstra, who came out of the video room and basically is only here because Pat kept him around and Pat came. And Stan Van Gundy took an interest in him, and here we are. Uh, but I think with Mike, I mean – I, I, you know, again, he's a ball boy. Like, I mean, it, you know, it, it's it's just it's a different perspective. Like, I and I, and so I think there are coaches who always thought they were going to be coaches, and they always thought that they could be eventually coaches at the highest level, and they viewed themselves that way. And so then innovation is difficult because. If you fail, then, you know, it's like, oh, you're worried. Am I going to lose my job? I I don't know if Mike McDaniel's is concerned about losing his job. I really don't. Um, So I I think that changes things. I think you need uh, the, you know, sort of the window to be able to innovate uh, just in terms of what your perspective is and, and where you came from. And I think he has that. Now, look, when the games get more challenging, we saw this in Buffalo last year. Okay. In the playoffs. And look, he went in with a third string, seventh round quarterback, but Uh, You know there were mistakes made, okay, in key points of that game, okay, in terms of clock management, timeout management, other things like that. When the stakes are raised, Andy Reid has been there and done all that. And Andy Reid, the big criticism of Andy Reid in Philadelphia was he's not a good game manager, right? And so we can talk about like that. Mahomes, you know, has made that easier to a certain degree, and certainly he has. But obviously, Andy's won a lot of big games when he's had to manage the clock now, or had someone help him manage the clock was the enemy, et cetera, And, and he's done it. So now let's see what McDaniel goes when the expectations are higher and the stakes are raised because, you know, if he's playing against, you know, if they're going against Baltimore in a game in January. We, Jim Harbaugh has been in all of those moments. He's seen everything. Doesn't mean he's perfect. But he's won a Super Bowl and he's won a lot of big games. He's won games he shouldn't have won. So let's see what it looks like against you know a coach like that in a moment that matters. And I think that's the next test for him. But we won't really know until he's there. Um, all he can do is get as aligned as possible with his quarterback, getting the plays in quicker like he has this season, which is something too has talked about. Um, and also, look, he's turned over the defense. Okay, and you know I, I give him credit for that because to be able to delegate. But in some ways, he'll be judged by how that defense plays, and if the defense doesn't play well, some of it will come on Fangio, and some of it will come on was McDaniel not paying enough attention to this side of the ball, and so that's something else to watch going forward. You don't
1: care.
0: All right, no, sorry, I'm sorry, I disagree. I, I have to jump in. I haven't. I've been. I've been a good boy. I've been like not not jumping in at all. But in this case, I'm going to jump in. Like last year, McDaniel deferred to Josh Boyer to run the defense because of the success they had the previous year. Okay. Boyer, you handle the defense. I'm going to take care of the offense. I think it's the same, the same way this year. And, and one thing more, I want to add, sorry,
1: if not more entitled.
0: Correct. Well, oh, absolutely. And one more thing I want to add about McDaniel that personally, I absolutely love the, the willingness to take gambles where a lot of coaches play the, play the percentages, what the card says, like you went for th- three times on fourth down. Against the Patriots on Sunday, they were three for three, and then you see a lot, and there were a lot of those situations where you'd see coaches, no, no, play f- the field position game. It's like, and that to me makes a difference. And the part of it is, I think he understands what he has, which is a dynamic offense that more often than that's going to succeed. So, why give away possessions? I, and and I, I, it boggles the mind while more why more coaches don't
1: do that. Now, when you no. talk about the dynamic offense, they've been coming back to the pack a little bit more lately because primarily, in my opinion, you can't have three backups on the left side of your offensive line and right. not not deal with some loss there. Uh, and, and I think it speeds up Tua's clock a little bit, changes how, you, how you're how you able to run. Um, but that that's me. Do you think that offensively, especially now they're facing one of the top four defenses in the Kansas City Chiefs, that they will be coming back to the pack a little bit more, or has that 70 points they scored against Denver skewed their averages?
2: I mean, they had to come back to the pack somewhat. I mean, the the only team that hasn't ever is the greatest show on turf, and that team didn't play anybody the entire season except Tennessee uh, in one game. And so – You know, the the averages were going to get skewed by that one game. I think what's interesting is that the Broncos have actually played reasonably well since that game, uh, particularly defensively, which it was a dumpster fire against Miami. So actually it makes Miami's performance look even more impressive, I guess, because we just thought the Broncos were horrible. They're not good, but like they're not as bad as we thought. Um, So I think that's part of it. But. I think that, look, offensively, the line obviously matters. I mean, you know, they were getting – I mean, Kendall Lamb has been a revelation really uh, in a lot of different ways. And I don't think that anybody could have anticipated he would play this well. I thought Armstead going out was a killer for them even though I think we all expected it at some point. But, I mean, yeah, it's all – it all comes down to how many can you lose, right? Like, I mean – it's the same thing I've been saying with the heat. Like the heat came into the season and they've got four rotation guys out. Okay. I, you know, at that point, I don't know what their rotations look like because too many players are out and and all the rest. You can, you can survive with one offensive lineman out, maybe two offensive linemen out. You start to get to three and it's like, okay, who else can block here? Do we need to put a tight end at right tackle? Like that, that's kind of where you're at. Now you got Smythe banged up too. So I, they're going to come back to the pack some. Um, and I, and I also think for a lot of dolphin fans, and I understand this, it's not going to matter until they see this team with two at quarterback go up to a hostile environment in December and win a big game. And and look, Buffalo is coming here, so that obviously helps. But oh, so that doesn't count. I, I do that, think that one doesn't count. You, you beat yeah, it, it does. It does. It, it, it does. But I think people want to see them go up and get one of those road wins too. And we saw last year that the season. We could talk about what happened against Green Bay and the concussions and all that, obviously. But, look, San, the, they, the San Francisco game fell apart on them. The Buffalo game fell apart on them. And they, they need to show it. And Because there's some of this stuff, too, where it it comes back also to Dolphin fan memories that predate this particular team.
1: That's a Dolphin moment they're, that they're waiting for, yes.
2: Right. There's this defeatist thing of what's going to happen, whether it was Tannehill in those last couple games or going back to my era and 2002 and Chris Carter dropping the pass in the end zone and then Linda Mark kicking the ball out of bounds in New England and throwing three straight times to Chambers against T-Buck and all the things that happened so that they missed the playoffs with what was, in my view, the most talented team. I'm curious your guys' thoughts on this. I think this is the most talented team since the 0-2 team, uh, which 0-2, 3 teams, which didn't end well in either case, actually. But when you looked at having Ricky, we had the dy- not the dynamic offense, but a dynamic offensive force, at least one of them. Having JT with 18 and a half sacks, still having Zach playing at a high level, having the corners playing, you know, Pat and Sam. This is, and, and Timbo and all the, and the group that they had there at that time. This is to me the most talented group they've had uh, in 20 years. If they could get most of it on the field. Um, and, but the offensive line, I think they've done an incredible job with what they have. I mean, to have to a hit as little as he's been hit, all things considered some of that, he deserves credit for um, getting the ball out. Some of it is scheme related. And some of it is the line has not been the bleep show that we expected it to be, no matter who's been in there. And yeah. I think, I think Butch Barry deserves credit for that. I think Mike deserves credit for that. Um, and I think Chris Greer deserves credit for that because I mean, he said, it's not as bad as y'all think. And he's been right. I mean, say, say which you will, but he's, He's been right. Okay. Like i they okay. they've been fine. He did I, say I that.
0: In the he did say that in the offseason, And I think Omar and I were on record as saying the offensive line looked good through yeah. most of training camp.
1: I, I wasn't <laughs> as panicked as I as as most Dolphin fans were. Um, however, I will acknowledge that I thought Liam Eichenberg was better than he is. But I think that that you know we're all where we are on the Eichenberg Express. I think he's a center moving forward. Um, but yeah, that, if I had one concern about this team moving forward, it would still continue to be the offensive line. Without, you know, when Tehran gets here, we'll reassess. When Tehran's back and Connor Williams is healthy and playing, we'll reassess where the offensive line is. But I do have a little bit of concern at the guard spots now, especially going into this week with Robert Rob Jones probably being sidelined. Um, so. But but I don't think that's gonna stop the show. And, and the reason I don't think it's gonna stop the show is because Tua Tonga Valoa has been the front runner for the MVP honor for the majority of the season. I personally believe, I've always said he was destined for greatness and it would be this year, um, 2023. And I always reasoned it for, he's seen every defense that anybody could throw at him by this point in his career. Now, I didn't expect him to have this array of weaponry and and one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL, uh, but the game has slowed down for him. And I forget who it was. I was watching a Twitter breakdown, and he was talking about Tua looking off a linebacker until he moved, looking moving a linebacker with his eyes and then throwing where, where, where that guy was. And I think that that's an underappreciated, undervalued, and, and seldomly mentioned skill that he has where he, he he has such eye command. He's like Mark Jackson out there. He doesn't need to look at you, look at the field when he's throwing the ball because he primarily throws the spots. And when you talk to defenders about him, they're like, man, that what he did on these particular plays is amazing because he literally moves guys where he wants them so that he can throw where he wants to throw and uh where do you feel Tua is now in his career is he officially an NFL elite quarterback
2: yes I I do think so although I I'll add the caveat that we'll make a better decision in December and January but I I feel like for right now where he's at
1: um You, you, oh, you gotta tip the cap on that, huh? Yo,
2: (laughs) well, no, I I mean, I think I know how he feels, and I I think he's right. I mean, I,
1: I think look, that's
2: that's where it matters ultimately, like that's where it matters. Like, you put yourself in a position for it to matter, but that's where it matters. And I, but what I give him credit for is he has mastered what they've put in front of him, and and they, and again, I give McDaniel a ton of credit for this too, but they've created an offense that fits his skill set. Uh, and I'm not gonna take Points away from him because he's got elite receivers. Because great quarterbacks have typically had great receivers, at least one. Okay. Now there are some quarterbacks in their prime who could make anybody look pretty decent. Brady, with the exception of the Moss year, uh, you know, had pretty pedestrian receivers. Deion Branch was pretty good. They had a few who were pretty good, but they did not have a ton of Pro Bowl type, prototype receivers. He made them in a lot of different ways. Montana had Jerry rice. He did not make Jerry rice. Okay. John Taylor would have been an elite number two receiver on pretty much any team. And actually probably could have been a number one receiver on a lot of teams. When you look back at that and Danny, as great as Danny was, and we can talk about Duper and Clayton were not highly drafted and all that they had elite speed. They were pretty much the closest thing you could find to what the heat, what was you? I did just did again. the dolphins did not. Yes, I do a did podcast this. Uh, but, but, uh, but I'm just saying like, it, you know, he, he didn't, Make them okay to he, he helped certainly, uh, but 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 they were pretty damn good in their own right. So, elite quarterbacks have had now, sometimes when you take away elite quarterbacks' receivers, a best receivers, then you kind of see where they're at. We've seen that with Mahomes. Mahomes obviously won a Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill. Would he be better with Tyreek Hill? Yes, okay, is the current bleep show he's got at receiver, uh possibly gonna hold them back it might okay because I, I thought they lost the first game of the year because of their receiver play so yeah. thank, I thank you you know you, you 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 need to have at the very least you know competence at that position um but other really good quarterbacks have had really good skill position players kurt warner that year was throwing to tory holt isaac bruce Marshall Falk out of the backfield, and I believe Ricky pro was their third guy, like as a receiver. That ain't bad, okay. He also had Orlando Pace playing left tackle. So this idea that we're gonna, okay, we're not gonna give Tua any any pass for having to play with what Mac Hollins as his number one or whatever in that first year. Uh, but now all of a sudden we're gonna take everything away from him because he's got Tyreek Hill. No, it's somewhere in the middle. He has. He's been given elite skill players and he's helping to maximize those players as is the coach. And that's what you want to do. And, and so look, he doesn't have elite running backs um, although the rookie may turn out to be we'll see, but they're, they're maximizing there also. And I think some of the things Omar is talking about the overlooked stuff with him, you know, again, the looking off guys and just his resilience. That that's the number one thing to me right now. That is the trait that a lot of, uh, great quarterbacks don't uh, supposed to be great quarterbacks do not have. But this post INT to a thing is a thing. Like, I mean, if you look at it, like he literally gets better after a mistake and that is a rare quality. And that is again, something that clearly McDaniels tried to coach into him by talking about how hard he used to be on himself and all the rest of this. That's an elite quality, like to be able to come back because look, even Brady has made a lot of mistakes But nobody remembers, like nobody remembers the way he played in the first half against Atlanta when they were falling behind 28 to three, where he was missing receivers all over the place. But they just remember the comeback. So nobody, nobody cares. Even Trevor Lawrence last year in the playoff game with the four picks, but only everybody remembers is he finished the game and won it for them. Tua has that quality and I think that's the most encouraging thing here. And is also proven resilient, you know, with a coach who was directly undermining him while he was, you know, while he was with him. So I give him credit for
1: that.
0: So you know, what? Uh really he wasn't
1: undermining him.
0: He didn't believe in him. And and that's he another shopping
1: part. for other quarterbacks.
0: That's not and, un- as, un- as was
1: the franchise.
0: And Ethan I mean, is also... It's like and not
2: bringing roses to your wife, Omar, because there's somebody at work that you kind of have an eye on. That's kind of what Brian Flores was doing. Okay. All right.
0: What I was going to say is... Ethan, and
2: it, not that I, that I make should make speak point. Point. on this. I'm but I'm just saying, like, you know, it is what it is.
0: Let me, let me try again. What I what I'm keep trying to say yes. is that another part of McDaniel's genius is that he's instilling into 2 if you make a mistake, it's not a big deal. You right. plenty, there's plenty of game left. You can come back from it. And then Tua has embraced that. And that's part of helped improve his resiliency. Cause you look at Tua physically from his first two years to the last two years, I'm sorry. There's not a ton of difference. The difference are in huh. the, intang- the, difference are the intangibles. Yes, he's thicker, he's stronger and all that. The, the difference are all in the intangibles. In how he sees the game, in his resiliency, in his confidence. There are throws that he that he that he's making now. He wouldn't even dare attempt his first wow. two years. He would never throw 50-50 balls his first two years. And now it's like well, he's oh, got so he, you're making a face. Are you you're disagreeing no, with that? No, no,
1: no. I'm not disagreeing with you. He doesn't have to worry about being benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And but that's, and, that's and, all that's and, all and part he's of it. Feeling like you you this team doesn't belong to you. You stole the team from, from our guy. Yeah, there's there's a lot of dynamics there.
0: Omar, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let's be let's have to be fair about this and be accurate. He got benched against against Denver as a rookie because the offensive line was, and Ethan, you may you may have heard this as a, a favorite Omar saying, was booty cheeks and beyond, and they couldn't protect. And Tour was a rookie making like his third or fourth start and wasn't necessarily equipped to deal with having pressure, and every single play in Flores at that time figured Fitzpatrick, who's seen this before, is going to be better handled to do it. And then the game against Vegas where he got benched is because he, he completed 20 passes in the first half for, like, 70 yards. I mean, it was, everything was dink and dunk, and they needed to throw downfield a little bit.
1: Still got replaced. No, no, Still but it, was, it, wasn't
0: because of mis- it wasn't because of mistakes.
1: Okay, it was not because of mistakes. It was because of when, circumstances. When... When Flores needed to juice up the offense, he knew exactly where to go and he went to Ryan Fitzpatrick.
0: But it wasn't because Tua was making mistakes, is the point I'm trying to make.
1: I still, whether you got pulled because of circumstances or because he just liked the other guy, it doesn't matter. You got pulled and that fear filled the back of his mind. And obviously, it was just a bad relationship. And we know Brian Flores. Primarily got fired because of his poor people skills, and and one of the people he was poor to was was Tua Tongovalo. So, you know, let's water under the bridge. Um, however, I, I'm not, and and for people who don't realize this, I am not even a Brian Flores fan. But I I I hate this perception that he was a bad coach, and he was not a bad coach here.
2: He led. No, the I I, I don't think I don't think he was a bad coach either. I think he was a bad coach for Tua.
1: Yeah. Bad coach for two, and he didn't didn't want to tank, didn't want to do what he was told. Well, that true, yeah. Great
0: it's ex defensive coach. Great ex-enthusiastic mm-hmm. defensive coach. Yeah,
1: I, I, you know, obviously he's going to have challenges getting a second chance, and and challenges um, building staff because of his lackluster people skills. But I, I don't like this whole every every coach that leaves here is a horrible coach, and that, that's not the reality of, of the situation. Stan Van Gundy, when he left the Heat, was not a horrible coach. Right. He, he, he he just he, it was just a circumstance he wasn't meant to coach that particular team now yeah,
2: because 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 Shaq, Shaq didn't listen to anything he said that's basically what happened and right I mean if we're gonna go back into that history I mean that that kind of stuff yeah it just it does happen somebody like Shaquille O'Neal like does not respect you like you, you're that's and Pat Riley is sitting in his office doing nothing like oh, well why don't we just have that guy coach us you know that's that's kind of how that went down but yes I I think. I I think Flores is going to get another job. By the way, I do. I, I I think we've seen guys. I understand the ownership issue. I understand it, and I understand fighting the system. Uh, there's been guys who've gotten jobs that I never thought would get jobs. I think he's got a better chance to get jobs than they. Some of them have. So I
1: I, 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 don't, know. I don't know about that. Unless unless the Minnesota Vikings all of a sudden becomes a top five defense. One, I think defensive coordinators are not in vogue anymore. Um two he, he's already proven he's insubordinate to ownership and doesn't know how to fall in line. three, he's trying to challenge the entire n f l system, which is a racist system and and yes. and 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 basically shining a spotlight on where they hide all the bodies and the dead roaches. You know, and, and the rats and roaches. But and- well,
2: he got the job he got. And so, which, again, some people didn't think he was going to get that job. I See, I think how it may happen is head coach gets fired and, and he gets appointed as an interim and then takes over a team. And then we kind of see what's happened with Todd Bowles where you kind of get yeah, – Bowles was different circumstances, obviously. But I'm just saying, like, very different
0: circumstances.
2: No, I, I know, I know, but I'm just saying. Sometimes you're in a position to be an interim coach because you're the guy who's there. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, true. the Colts, the Colts hired Jeff Saturday last year. Like they're a big stranger coaching hire. Uh, yeah, than this, okay?
0: Well, but it, but it, Ethan, here's the other point though, because you made the point of Mike McDaniel being the new wave type of coach because yeah, of yeah. how well he relates to players. Well, Brian Flores is kind of the antithesis of they that. They are the opposite. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and, yeah. And while the players liked and respected Brian Flores, except for, you know, Tua, who probably still hasn't said Brian Flores' name, um, it, 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 I, I think this era of players, and I'm I'm curious to hear what your take is on the NBA because I've watched an era of players where you can't criticize this generation of athletes. You can't criticize this generation of players. and And they are so entitled. I mean, Right now we're living in a culture where everybody, this is, this is, this we're on the second wave of the, everybody gets a trophy crowd. Um, so now can you coach players hard in professional sports anymore? Can you
2: be? Um, I, I, mean, I think the, the, the NBA is an interesting situation because I think a lot of it is tied to the player movement um, and the player empowerment movement. And then, you know, today we wake up as we're recording this and you know, the James Harden masterclass in getting himself out of a situation, which a Dame 15. Willard did not accomplish this, which was much to the heat chagrin. But uh, somehow he, James Harden's has done this in four different places uh, where he's ended up going exactly where it is he wanted to go now traded to the Clippers and he's not even good anymore in my view uh, and he's unwatchable. And yet he still got to the place that he wanted to go to. So, uh, you know, there's this, there's, you know, there's a really good piece written by my former colleague and my friend, Howard Beck about the NBA and player empowerment and how the Dame thing kind of shows that it's swinging back, that you just, you an agent just can't ask to go where they want to go. I think it ties into the whole coaching thing. I think it's hard to coach someone hard in the NBA because of the guaranteed contracts and the sort of LeBron player empowerment movement where if you coach a guy too hard, he's just not going to want to play for you and he'll ask his way out to somewhere else. And then, you know, in the NBA, like there, you need to get two, two or three of those guys, right? Like you keep searching until you get two or three of those guys and they make your whole team. Well, if those guys don't want to play for the coach and they end up asking out, then you've, you're screwed. Okay. The NFL, I do think there's still the opportunity for more management and coaching empowerment simply because the contracts, you know, with the exception of some quarterback contracts are not guaranteed. And that, uh, unless that ever happens, which I don't think it is where it spreads to more positions, then I think that there still is the ability to have control. There's more of a kind of a, a team culture in the NFL in that sense that you don't step out of line as much. They don't individualize the personalities the same way they do in the NBA NBA players are their own corporations before. I mean, look, Wemby is going to be like, is going to be an international corporation halfway through his rookie season. I mean, he's a very smart kid and all the rest of this, but he's playing in San Antonio. Uh, And yet still he's going to end up being, you know, it's going to be, you know, Wemby Inc here pretty soon. And it's just, that's the way it is in the NBA. And, LeBron, you know, Jordan started it to some degree. Magic and Bird before him, I guess, but uh, you know, it was really Jordan. But then LeBron took it to a new level because it's just like we're going to do what we want. And I, and I don't think that that's going to really turn back in the NBA. In the NFL, I think it can to a certain degree. I think there are some players who want to be coached hard. I mean, I go back to the NBA example. But Jimmy Butler wants to be coached hard. Like there are certain players they want that kind of culture. Uh, he also wants to do whatever the F he wants on his off days. And, you know, he does not going to participate in a ton of team events, but like he wants to be coached hard. Like, and I, so I, I think it, it's, it's a little bit individualized, but I think in the NFL there, there can still be some control from, from top down, uh, a little bit. Cause they kind of control your livelihood. I mean, the contracts are meaningless. So, I mean, and just like the cap to a certain degree is meaningless. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a just fine money. That's it. Like We can't do this now. Yeah, we can. Okay. <laughs> and that's just how that works.
1: So, yeah, well, we, we will continue to dive into more of the comparisons between the NFL and NBA with our partner here, Ethan Skolnick with Five Reasons Sports. Once again, uh, all Dolphins podcast is joining the Five Reasons Sports team. So, you will find more collaborations uh, with us and with Five Reasons. Um, Parting words, poop, Ethan?
0: You want to go first, Alan? No, I was just going to yes. say thank, thank you for for pointing out how boring James Harden is to watch. I don't watch a ton of basketball, but every time he's on it, I have to watch him dribble for 17, 18 seconds before chucking a three-pointer while trying to draw a foul. Ugh.
2: I know. Jesse, I'm so glad I don't have to. I mean, the Heat need an injection of life right now, but like, I I was not, I did not want that to happen. I could not watch that. Um, one of the most overrated stars in NBA history, actually, if you look at his performances in the playoffs. Um more than 25% of the time he shot 25% or worse in a playoff game. Dwayne did that like only nine times and he played in three times as many. It, it, yeah. It's not even close. So yes, I'm very glad about that. Um, my only parting word is this. I'm happy to have you guys. Um, I won't force you to talk NBA a whole bunch. I promise. We actually are trying to talk more football on the network. Uh,
0: Lakers. And, uh, as much as you uh, Yeah,
2: no, exactly. No, I, I mean, if, I I missed the show that was on uh, on HBO or on Max. Um, but uh, we, we're just happy to have you guys, and like I said, happy to have a perspective from camp. Uh, and maybe I won't get the side eye from uh, from. Uh, well, I'm not going to say anything when I'm there anymore, since we're actually affiliated with you guys. What is this blog? <laughs> what you, Five what reasons. Gonna what were you going to say? No, nope, don't it's say it. it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they,
2: they, they, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just leave it there. So, I'm yeah. just happy to come out and cover the team whenever I can
1: be a good boy, Ethan. There you go. That's, that's all you got to do. Be a good boy. All right. Okay. Well, we, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. We will have a episode later today, breaking down what's happening in Germany for your Miami dolphins as they prepare for the Kansas city chiefs. On that note, we are out. Visit alldolphins.com for the latest news analysis and columns. And it's all free. You can find Omar Kelly and Alan Poupard on the All Dolphins Podcast, discussing South Florida's NFL team on YouTube and anywhere you find your audio podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, like, and share so you stay in the know. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.